When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. I see dead people. Go ahead. Make my day. I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. I'll have what she's having. This is Simon Rose joining me for the business of film, as ever is James Cameron Wilson, telling us what's been happening in the UK box office and reviewing movies as we go. So, James, um, last time um, you were telling us how uh, well uh, Sing 2 was doing. Is that still at the top? It is still at the top. In fact, last weekend, you may recollect, had jumped 55.1% from the previous weekend and things were looking in incredibly rosy Mm. it would be hard to sustain that kind of enthusiasm so this last weekend is down five percent but it could be a lot worse now correct me if i'm wrong but i don't remember since the pandemic five films in the chart making more than a million no it's been a long long time since you've been talking about that so five separate films made over a million pounds at the UK box office last weekend. So things are really returning to normal, I'm very mm-hmm. glad to say. And at number one, we have Sing 2, which in its second weekend made 5.1 million quid for a total of 13 million after just two weekends, which is really, really good. We've got a new film at number two, which is the biggest in its particular franchise called Jackass Forever, which made £2.1 million. It's the fourth in the Jackass series. And I did actually go along to watch it for, for this programme. You good gracious, James. So you, your well, dedication only, to duty never su- ceases to surprise me. Well, only two new films open. So I felt right. I ought to see, see them both. I was the only person in the cinema. It was the first showing. It was... Uh, in the afternoon, they would I, I think, would I be right in thinking that you're, you, I mean, you're you, it's a countryish cinema that tends to be patronized by people who are not necessarily in the first rush of you. That it's not the ideal catchment area for Jackass, is it? Uh, no, which is probably why the auditorium yeah. was empty. And I think because I was the only one in there that actually turned the heating off as well. Oh, gosh. So I was cold <laughs> and miserable, and I wanted to leave after about 20 minutes. I, I think I actually suffered a mild case of PTDS, having seen this film. Mm. I, I just found it offensive, uh, sickeningly awful. Um, it's not a film. It's a series of sketches where a group of masochists try to outdo themselves in close-up of how much genital pain they can... Yes endure and i wouldn't recommend it to anybody i wish i hadn't seen it i mean that's the tv series i can't really believe they managed to get four films out of it Uh, and well johnny knoxville um 
coming out of hospital, uh, did announce that there would be a fifth, which will be shown this summer on Netflix. It's just unbelievably awful and offensive. And there are moments in that film that I will never be able to eradicate from my memory for as long as I live. It is just, if you're into excreta and naked fat men, you will love it. What can I say? So moving on to yeah, number three. Probably fine next week. We'll say that after your review, the box office take has increased massively. Yes. <laughs> Let's hope not. Okay. At number three, we have Belfast, which is the first oh, yes. film to be nominated for Best Picture that is directed by Kenneth Branagh. It was at number two. It made £1.5 million last weekend, down 23% for a total of nine million and we have a new film at number four which also made over a million called moonfall now when most people review moonfall they will either be talking about roland emmerich the so-called mm. master of disaster or halle berry mm. the most beautiful 55 year old astronaut in the world but because i am a credits geek i was intrigued by the name harold closer who co-wrote the screenplay with Roland Emmerich, co-produced the film with Roland Emmerich, and co-wrote the music with Thomas Wanker. Although Wanker being Austrian, he probably pronounces his name differently in his <laughs> right. native language. Yes, yes. Wanker or something. But, but back to Harold Closer. Uniquely, it was Closer's musicianship that got him involved with writing scripts after his suggestions for certain changes to the story of The Day After Tomorrow which Roland Emmerich was directing and Closer was scoring. Closer then collaborated with Emmerich on the script of 10,000 BC, which he also produced, and then again on Emmerich's 2012, again mm. working in triplicate, so to speak. And now with Moonfall, he completes his hat-trick as producer, screenwriter and composer. As his friend and collaborator, Roland Emmerich returns to his favourite subject, the end of mm. the world. Yes. Emmerich previously toyed with the apocalypse with his student film, The Noah's Ark Principle, in 1984, before going big budget on the globe's destruction with Independence Day, Godzilla, The Day After Tomorrow, 2012, and Independence Day Resurgence. Now, I'd like you to imagine a scenario in which a celestial body is slowly approaching Earth, and there's very little we can do about it. Even worse, there's a scientific nerd who cannot seem to get anybody's attention to alert them to what looks like Armageddon. What's an Does original idea? Familiar? What's an original idea, James? I, I know. I think a lot of our <laughs> listeners may have already seen Don't Look Up. Well, this time it's the moon, which after millennia of following a stationary orbit, although it actually, it's moving away from us at the rate of one and a half inches a year, which is the average length your fingernails grow in the same time. So every time you cut your fingernails, you can think that is how much the moon has moved away from the Earth. Anyway, back to uh, the moon, yeah, which has suddenly <laughs> broken off its orbit and is now leading, heading towards Earth. But whatever Kim Jong-un thinks, he who threatened to shoot the moon down, our satellite is vital for our survival. It controls our tides, the migration of birds, the 24-hour clock, not to mention our climate. It's vital for our survival. Anyway, back to Moonfall. The aforementioned, the aforementioned scientific nerd played 
by John Bradley, a Mancunian who made his name in a TV series called Game of Thrones, does finally manage to make contact with former astronaut Patrick Wilson, who doesn't seem wildly impressed by the former's calculations. So Bradley decides to release his findings on social media and finally creates a ripe rumpus. Meanwhile, the Earth is already beginning to show signs of disruption, with coastal cities becoming flooded and looting reaching unreasonable levels in the United Kingdom, of all places. Of course, it's all totally preposterous, with little basis in reality. But for all that, I kind of enjoyed it anyway. John Bradley is actually very funny. And Halle Berry is a biological... It was one of the better things in Game of Thrones. You do actually remember him in it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. He played Samuel, Samuel Tardy, Tarly, something like that in Game of Thrones. Um, Yeah, no, he was good. He was... There wasn't that much comic relief in Game of Thrones. He provided most of it. Well, he provides... uh, Yeah, he provides a lot of comic relief in Moonfall. Uh, I mean, obviously, the special effects are ace. And if you don't mind seeing the destruction of New York City again... (laughs) Uh, it's one of those films that it's so bad it's actually enjoyable oh we don't get many of those these days so we don't so we can rely on roland emmerich Uh, did they have the heating on in the cinema well they did on this occasion yes good (laughs) there were a few people spotted around so Um, moving on at number five we've got spider-man no way home which was at number three down 35 percent with a total of 91.7 million pounds It is the sixth highest grossing film of all time in the UK and Ireland. At number six, we've got Scream, which was at four, down 50%, deservedly. Seven Parallel Mothers, which you failed to see last weekend, I'm sorry to hear. We were intending to, just just didn't seem to be on at the right time. It was either incredibly early or so late that it was past our bedtime. So I'm sorry, I failed. Well, that's fallen down 39% because you failed to turn up to see yeah, it. Entirely my fault, I realise. Yeah, yeah. Number eight, we've got Clifford the Big Red Dog, which was at eight, so it's holding It's been in well. the chart forever. It's doing very well, and it's quite sweet, and I know children love it. It's down 25%. Mm. We've got a new film at number nine called Bell, which is actually a Japanese cartoon, and the title in English in Japan is The Dragon and the Freckled Princess. And it's an anime reworking of Beauty and the Beast. And at number 10, we've got Nightmare Alley, which was at number five. So that's quite a a drop. It's the biggest casualty of the weekend, down 55%, with a total of 1.6 million. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if I should talk about this before or Well, I was about to say, should we take take a break? Why don't we just do that? And then we don't have to worry about that trade. So let's just pause for breath. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is the business of film on Share Radio. I'm Simon Rose in conversation with James Cameron Wilson. We've just been talking about the chart. We've got down to number 10. So is there something beyond that you want to discuss? Well, yes, because it's a new film and it's got two Oscar nominations. So I think we really ought to cover it. at number 17, with an average of just £306 at 110 screens. And it's called The Eyes of Tammy Faye. I am such a fan of Jessica Chastain, and I was so looking forward to this. And I was not disappointed by her performance. In, in many ways, it is her bravest, most transformative role. She is, in fact, unrecognisable as Tammy Faye Baker, the Dolly Parton of prayer. 
she has to be seen to be, be to be believed. While no doubt the wonders of modern makeup had a hand in her transformation, she still embodies that Betty Boop voice, the hollow giggle and the laughable strut, her killer cheekbones hidden behind chipmunk cheeks. Because I have spent a lot of time in North Carolina, which is where I got married, mm. I was very much aware of Tammy Faye as a local icon. But having asked around here, nobody knew who she was at all. Particularly in the Carolinas, she was adored and adulated by many. And this film, directed by Michael Showalter, who brought us the big stick, you may remember, has been a passion of Chastain's for some considerable time. It's an extraordinary story. And Andrew Garfield, another Oscar nominee, is terrific as the smarmy, naive televangelist Jim Baker, with a powerful supporting turn from Vincent D'Onofrio as a menacing, homophobic Jerry Falwell, and a good one from Cherry Jones as Tammy's mother, Rachel. And talking of Cherry Jones, did you know it was actually Cherry Jones Week? I didn't. I've never heard of Cherry Jones Week. Well, it is Cherry Jones Week. Uh, she appears in a, another film called The Sky is Everywhere. Sometimes you come across a movie that you just cannot make sense of. This is on Apple TV Plus from this weekend. This is a film about grief, a subject well explored by the cinema, from Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now to Nomad Land, as well as such family-friendly pictures as We Bought a Zoo and Mary Poppins Returns. The Sky is Everywhere, which premieres on Apple, is based on the young adult novel of the same name by Jandy Nelson, apparently published in 22 different countries. It opens with the words, last summer, I learnt that the most terrible thing you can imagine can happen at any time. Our protagonist is Lennon, played by Grace Kaufman, who, in spite of having lost both her parents, leads an idyllic existence on the edge of a Californian redwood forest in the world's most colourful house, bordered by the world's most colourful garden. There she reads profusely, Wuthering Heights being a favourite, plays the clarinet and frolics in the woods with her older Asian sister, Bailey, her best friend and soulmate. They are looked after by their uncle, Big, played by Jason Segal, and Graham, played by Cherry Jones. Then out of the blue, Bailey dies from heart arrhythmia during a rehearsal of Romeo and Juliet. Lennon's life is shattered, and as she says, there was no more music in me, not one note. So she goes off and starts writing mournful messages on leaves and loses all her self-confidence, mm. saying that she just can't stop thinking of falling into somebody's arms. Now, I don't know if you remember Peter Jackson's Heavenly Creatures. I do. Which was also about two teenage girls and mm. introduced these fantastical fantasy sequences. For a split second, I thought, maybe this will be another Heavenly Creatures. Unfortunately, it's not. It's riddled with jokey sound effects, uh, which I can't mm. even imitate. It, the score is incessant. Everybody over, even the extras. I couldn't take my eyes off people in the background who were overacting. This is a really weird film. When she starts feeling any sense of joy, she starts floating high up above the air. It is really, really weird and weird. And all I can say is I think it is terribly misjudged. It's got all the high school cliches there, 
but it is so over the top. It is so just odd. And mm -hmm. the sort of animation, uh, it's a real mess. And I just wasn't involved in what was going on. And I think, obviously, well, Jandy Nelson adapted the book herself. And she is credited as executive producer. So maybe she is to blame. And I, I did like Grace Kaufman. I, I think she's got a good film in her. And she was just trying. I just think it's an absolute mess, an extraordinary, extraordinarily oh, bad film, I'm afraid. But I would like to end. Do you remember Cherry Jones from... Um... From uh, 24, she was president of the United States, I think, at some one stage in one of the many uh, well, iterations of 24. I think as a theatre actress, and I was first aware of her in Signs uh, with Mel Gibson. Oh, I'd forgotten. And she she's turned that. in good performances. And she even Jerry Jones is awful in this. Although there is a scene at the end where she almost salvages her performance. But mm. she's obviously everybody's asked to really act big uh, and and even the oversaturated color scheme is an affront to the senses but okay. um so where do we go I now did well because i'm getting a bit worried about what's happening in ukraine i felt it was time i watched munich the edge of war which actually uh was released on netflix four and a half weeks ago and i have to say i was really surprised how good i thought it was this of course is the story of when the, the Munich Agreement, when Neville Chamberlain goes mm. over to try appease Mr. Hitler, played by Jeremy Irons, who I thought was very good. There's a fictional subplot which was uh, thought up by Robert Harris from his novel on which the book, uh, the film is based, with George Mackay as an English Balliol Oxford graduate who's now a private secretary for Neville Chamberlain. Mm. I, I found it very immediate, very well acted, uh, very exciting. I was on the edge of my seat. And of course, in the prism of today's politics, it is very, very worrying uh, um, because, well, you know what's happening in yeah, Europe. Yeah, there, there seems a, now. a relevance, yes. Yeah, and I, I do recommend it. I, I, it was much I, better than I, I was expecting. I, I have to come out with a contrary view, though, having having seen it several weeks ago, James. I, I agree that Jeremy Irons was absolutely splendid, and I... I wasn't I wasn't bored, but I thought George Mackay was completely wrong. I found that every bit that involved George Mackay, I just winced. It did not hold. Okay, it doesn't feel true at all, which was a great shame. I was pleased they were making the film, but I do wonder whether anybody who has no knowledge of the events of the time would would be that interested by it. Um, well, I perhaps know I'm wrong. Perhaps it's doing very well, but it, it it just struck me that you almost needed some knowledge before you could actually enjoy the film. Okay, well, that's fair enough. Uh, certainly, all the friends I know who have seen it have loved it even more than I did. Uh, well, I saw it with a with a friend, and we both had exactly the same view. But then, okay. you know, things are very odd. Sometimes, you know, when you see a film with some people, somehow your mood communicates itself to the other person. Yeah. And you both seem to be in agreement. It's very odd. We, we've discussed many times why people don't study the psychology of audiences more before they actually spend hundreds of millions of pounds on the movies. Maybe if I saw Jackass Forever with a packed audience <laughs> screaming their heads off. I, I, I suspect not. It. I suspect not. Um, but but it, is, it is there for people to judge for themselves. Munich Edge of War is, a, is on Netflix, isn't it? It, it, it is. And I, I think I did. I don't think my expectations were that high, which probably helped. 
and having missed it when it first came out. But then I thought, well, actually, I've got a friend who's related to Neville Chamberlain, which was another Ooh, reason that I saw it. Anyway, um, have we got time to zip through the Oscar nomination? Yes. Can I just briefly mention that I saw The Professor and the Madman, which I think is on Amazon Prime, which I thought was perfectly watchable. I and mean, again, ba- like Medicare War, based on a true story, Mel Gibson and uh, Sean Penn about the, the founding of the Oxford English Dictionary and how somebody who was actually incarcerated in Broadmoor came up with a substantial proportion of the uh, entries. I, I thought it was extremely interesting. Not a perfect movie by any means, but uh, interesting. Um, so, yes, Oscar May I recommend the book, Simon, which oh. I... I'm reading for right. the second time The Surgeon of Crowthorne, which is so interesting because it goes in so many different areas about the American Civil War and how he became mentally unstable. It's, a, it's an extraordinary book. And I've oh. always wanted to see the film. So I'm glad that you like it. I suspect the film is very much dumbing down the book, but I don't know. What, with Mel Gibson? Um, well... Yes. <laughs> it's not the most erudite thing I've seen. So, Oscar nominations. Yes, how long have we got? You've got about three minutes. Okay. Uh, obviously, the, I think a lot of our listeners may already know this, but The Power of the Dog got an almighty 14 nominations. And it is so great to see a film that we both loved do so well. June got 10 nominations and trailing. And... Pretty much what I've been predicting over the last few weeks, uh, I was very thrown by the BAFTA nominations. There are a few snubs, but if you look at how BAFTA predicted which actresses would win. Okay, these are the BAFTA nominations for Best Actress. Lady Gaga, House of Gucci. Alana Haim for Licorice Pizza. Amelia Jones for Coda. Ranati Reinsvi for The Worst Person in the World, mm-hmm. Joanna Scanlon for After Love, Tessa Thompson for Passing. Those are the BAFTA nominations mm-hmm. for Best Actress. Not one of them was nominated for an Oscar. And I'm very happy with who was nominated for an Oscar. Jessica Chastain, the aforementioned, The Eyes of mm-hmm. Tammy Faye, mm-hmm. almost my favourite actress. Olivia Colman, yay! Uh, for The Lost Daughter, which, which I love. Interesting film, yes. Yep. Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers, which we both need to catch up with. Nicole Kidman, which I'm very happy for, for being The Ricardos, which I also have to catch up with. And Kristen Stewart for Spencer. And of course, Kristen Stewart was leading the pack for months, and suddenly she wasn't doing so well. I don't think she got a Screen Actors Guild nomination, and I thought, ah, she's not going to get a nomination, but she did. Best Actor, we have Javier Bardem for being the Ricardos, Mm -hmm. which is his fourth nomination. So Penelope Cruz, to whom he is married, has got three. So between them, this happy Spanish couple (laughs) have seven nominations. (laughs) Benedict Cumberbatch gets his second for The Power of the Dog. Mm -hmm. Andrew Garfield gets his second for Tick, Tick, Boom, which I'm thrilled about. Will Smith gets his third for King Richard, and I suspect he will win. Having said that, if there is an upset, and there was an upset when Olivia Coleman won for the favourite, the upset could be Benedict Cumberbatch for The Power of the Dog, because I think everybody is behind The Power of the Dog. And we have Denzel Washington uh, for The Tragedy of Macbeth, and of course he's previously won for Glory mm. and Training Day. And quickly, best just best director, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, which I don't think he deserves. That's his third nomination after The Will Be Blood and Phantom Thread. 
Kenneth Branagh. This is his second Best Director nod after Henry V. Mm. Jane Campion, her second Oscar nod for The Power of the Dog. Right, Suki Hamaguchi for Drive My Car. He is only the third Japanese director in history to be so nominated. And Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. West Side Story, incidentally, is Steven Spielberg's 11th film to be nominated for Best Picture. I will just say, very few female directors again. And I think there should have... Sean Heder, Coda picked up a number of nominations, directed by Sean Heder. They could have given it to another woman. But I know we're talking about 9,000 different members, so... You can't tell them to do the right thing. James, thank you very much indeed. That's been it for the business of film for this week. James, of course, will be back with more at the same time next week. Good morning, Vietnam! What we've got here is failure to communicate. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? <laughs>